everybody, this is Monica Perez here with my favorite dive master, Jeremy Kuzmarov of Covert Action Magazine, who just re-released an article about the really shocking details and implications of recent evidence about Marilyn Monroe's death. It is the August 4th. 2022 was the 60th anniversary of her death, and the details are fascinating. So, Jeremy, I hope you don't mind some. I'm going to pick your brain. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I read that article, and yes, it feels like that's uh, so, you know an old story. But what originally got me so fascinated by it is that you had also written a story, an article about RFK and the cover up around his assassination, and what I hadn't realized, maybe I just wasn't a student of it, is that how intimately connected RFK was potentially to Marilyn's, what I think you are confident was murder. So let's start with that. Like what, you know, was Marilyn Monroe murdered? Are you confident with that? Yeah, I'm very confident uh, that Marilyn Monroe was murdered. Uh, the official story yeah, just doesn't, um, doesn't add up. Uh, it was clear, you know, the official story had her dead at like four in the morning, but, uh, the time of death, yeah, really was, uh, hours earlier. And, um, you know, just the, the crime scene, there were so many uh, oddities in the crime scene that makes it impossible. And, you know, even the coroner said that, um, you know, she had died. Um, I mean, it was a clear murder. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, if you look into the evidence, Right. So the official story is that she ate a bunch of barbiturates and intentionally committed suicide. But some of the details that you pointed out that uh, there was no water at her bedside originally, and then later it appeared in some photos. How do you know there was no water? Because it's just too many pills to just dry swallow like that. How, how do you know there, were no, there was no water at her bedside? Where'd that come from? Well, I think the, there was a, the first LAPD officer on the scene. His name was uh, Jack, and uh, I have to look up his last name. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he noticed right away certain things. Uh, and you know, the the, the psychiatrist. Well, firstly, the people were acting very oddly. Like her housekeeper was doing laundry at uh, four in the morning while this was happening. Why do you I think? Know, I mean, covering like, stuff up, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, there was a, a huge gap between the time the police called and when the body was initially found, and there was, you know, broken glass, and, uh, you know, the question why all these people were there, and right. yeah, the, the things like the water, you know, uh, claimed to be a drug overdose, but there's no water, and then it was put in after to make it look like it, so. Uh, it looks like it was Sergeant Jack Clemens. Clemens, was, yeah. Was he? Okay, and so he told what he actually saw. So he was not in on it. He was telling the truth, right? Yeah, he he was there. He was the first one on the scene, and he reported things that were at odds, or and also the strained behavior from the housekeeper to the psychiatrist. Uh, it appeared they were all involved in, in a cover up. So. The way I understand it, so the official story is supposedly that she died at four a.m., right? But. Uh, from the things I read in your article, her body was too cold for that to be true. There, um, there was even one one story that she had actually been taken in an ambulance to a hospital, but died on the way and was brought back home. Was that something exactly. that you think is plausible? Yeah. yeah, it was reported that the the, the medical uh, personnel reported that she had been taken by ambulance 
and then they brought her back and she died probably in the ambulance or or beforehand so wow. and then the other detail that i thought was weird that she was naked and prone like fully outstretched on her bed on her face and that just seems like uh that that's what the detective said that it would be too weird like when you take that many so much drugs that they kill you you kind of don't die in that like swan like position yeah exactly uh everything like that and, and i think she didn't sleep naked so you know people knew her said she doesn't sleep naked so why was she found naked you know Right. And, uh, so everything, you know, just pointed to a clear case of cover up uh, that, that the official story was not true. Yeah. OK, so there are there are a couple of competing ideas of why she was killed. I guess I would say it seems like there are two ideas, but I would even like maybe put in a third one. One is that RFK himself did it. Another is that the mob did it. And is there an idea that maybe the CIA did it? Or is it really just the idea that RFK did it or the mob did it? Well, uh, uh, the mob is connected with the CIA. Right. You know, like, I figured like Sam Giancana, who was involved, was he was not a CIA agent, but he did work for the CIA. Uh, so when you talk about the mob, sometimes there's a thin line between the mob and the CIA. Yes, especially around those people, because there's one picture in your article of Marilyn Monroe with RFK and JFK, and it was just so freaky because I looked at that and it's like within, you know, by the end of the decade, all of those people had been murdered, assassinated, and probably by the same people one way yeah. or another, unless yeah. RFK, you know, and RFK didn't even realize what he was, you know, that he was playing into the same hands as the people who would a year later kill his brother and six years later, kill him. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes to show, I mean, American politics is a deadly, uh, deadly sport. And right. I mean, all the glamor didn't save the Kennedys, uh, uh, from the same fate in Maryland. And, uh, yeah, if you cross the deep state and you know, um, then you're gone. I mean, yes. And that's what, what the problem was, right. That she, I guess, pillow talk with, JFK let her in on some secrets and stuff that she shouldn't have known. And she kept a diary, which from what you wrote, they, that she wrote some stuff that JFK shouldn't have told her about Vietnam. It was going to be a long war. This is 1962. She, I think wrote and expressed numerous times that she felt that they were treating her like a piece of meat, a whore, a piece of ass, like that. She did not like how they were treating her. And she maybe was considering exposing their behavior, which would have been just uh, catastrophic for the family as far as political power in those days, I would think. Now you could probably get away with it, maybe, but in those days, no way. So I think that was the motive, right? That she knew stuff um, that she shouldn't have known and really just that she could expose their behavior and she kept a diary. Correct, yeah. Well, I, and I think she may have been used by the C I mean, she wasn't entirely innocent herself. Uh, she was, you know, very, uh, you know, she was a beautiful woman. She was a talented actress. But, you know, she kind of, to get, you know, to get ahead, I don't think she was alone. She had to, you know, sleep with the right people. And then they used her, uh, even the CIA used her to seduce foreign leaders like Ahmed Sukarno in Indonesia. Uh, so she knew a lot uh, about the CIA's operations. And then, yeah, in drawing close with the Kennedys, the, the Kennedys were very clearly, and there's strong evidence uh, that, that Robert Kennedy was there. 
and he was concerned about the diary because of what it was revealed. Yeah, he was there the day she died. Whether he killed her or not is not certain, but I mean, it looks bad for him because he's there. And I mean, he's lying about where he is that day. And the diary was key, yeah, because uh, in that diary, firstly, yeah, it had the revelation about the affair. You know, and the, and the Kennedys were trying to preserve this wholesome image. Uh, and, you know, they were, uh, you know, womenizers who, who used women like, like rag dolls, and they, they kind of led secret lives. And, yeah, in that era, I mean, it's bad enough now. I mean, Bill Clinton lived that kind of lifestyle, and, I mean, that was something shameful for him. He had to try and cover up and, and you know, try and demonize all his accusers. So, I mean, in that era, it was an even more, you know, that was the era of, of Leave it to Beaver. And, you know, yes, right. So, I mean, the yeah, Kennedy, she was really a 50s star. She died in 62. Like, you think of it yeah. as the 60s Andy Warhol and stuff, but she was a 50s star. Yeah. And it's think about what she did. Yeah. Yeah. She was the first one to be naked in Playboy, was she not? Wasn't she in the first issue yeah. of Playboy? I mean, that she was really selling out in that way. That and she was so beautiful. I know she got a little nip and tuck here and there, but she was unbelievably beautiful. I would think, like, why would she have to go that route? But I guess, I guess it was that was the way it worked that you couldn't get anywhere if you maybe didn't cooperate. And these guys did pass her around supposedly to the foreign leaders. I want to just ask you a little bit about two things. One that the, what makes you think that RFK was there? Well, yeah. And first, like with a diary, there were also revelations about, as you say, like Vietnam, she was, you know, I guess this loose pillow talk, she had written stuff like the Kennedy said about how the, uh, the, you know, DMS, uh, they were kind of previewing the DM assassination. Uh, they were you know, discussing yeah, that the U S would be in Vietnam for a long time. Other assassination they may have talked about like Rafael Trujillo in, in Dominican Republic and stuff related to Cuba. Cause Robert Kennedy took a lead and uh, John apparently, you know, was sick a lot of the time. And Robert was actually running the policy toward Cuba uh, it was a pretty aggressive policy, although some wanted them to go further and, you know, use the military and you know, the CIA got upset because ultimately, I mean, Castro prevailed, you know, stayed in power and they couldn't get to him. So they blamed the Kennedys, but they were going pretty hardcore after him. So there was a lot of that in the diary and that would, you know, and maybe stuff also in the nuclear policy uh, and stuff that they, you know, nobody, a, a regular civilian, you know, person not in the government shouldn't know. So, that, that diary yeah, was, uh, uh, you know, very problematic for the Kennedys. And that's why Robert Kennedy was there that day because, yeah, he ended it. So to relate to your uh, recent question, uh, Kennedy uh, wanted to get the diary. And supposedly he was at a friend's ranch that weekend. That, that was the official story. But then the friend admitted that he hadn't, he didn't see him and he wasn't with him at that time. And there, there's evidence indicate he was there from, firstly, hotel records, that he was in the Beverly Hills Hotel, that he'd been with Peter Lawford. There's the neighbors who saw him going, uh, walking towards the house. There's the admission of the housekeeper. And then there's a confession of Peter Lawford, because uh, uh, Peter Lawford was his uh, brother-in-law, and they were you know, sidekick. They hung around with the Rat Pack, and they lived the high life chasing women and you know, gambling. And, uh, you know, he gave a confession. He was very, uh, he felt guilty about this. And he gave a confession before he died to Mike uh, Rothmiller, 
who's that was a former LAPD investigator who wrote this book, Bombshell. Uh, so um, there's you know a lot of evidence that would put him at the scene. Then there are these tapes because Kennedy's. Oh yeah. What tapes? Well, there's this guy Fred Otash. You know, he worked with Jim, Jimmy Hoffa and with the CIA and the mafia, and they were I mean they were spying on Kennedy's every move. You know, Marilyn Monroe was under surveillance. Uh, uh, the Kennedys were under surveillance. So these surveillance tapes captured Kennedy and Lawford in the house. And Kennedy was kind of roughing her up to get to the diary. Now, the question is if Kennedy left, left her in a bad state but didn't kill her, and then mafia killers came in, gave the coup de grace, and were going to set up Kennedy since they had the evidence of him being there, they were, were going to leak those tapes to ruin him, is one plausible scenario that Sam Giancana lays out in his memoir, or Kennedy himself uh, killed him, uh, killed her, whether intentionally or uh, because the tapes did expose him treating her roughly and slipping something uh, in her in her wa uh, water. Whether it was a tranquilizer or whether it was something more deadly is open question. Now Peter Lawford, uh, before his death, said that Kennedy killed her. He thought Kennedy killed her because she was you know passed out on the couch. Now, it could have been from a tranquilizer. Maybe he thought she was dead, but it was a, just a tranquilizer to subdue her because she was trying to prevent him from getting the diary. And she was, you know, she was a strong woman. who uh, He was kind of abusing her, and she was fighting back. So he may have slipped the tranquilizer, or it was a deadly pill. And or maybe it would have been something for, like, a truth serum type thing because he was looking for that diary, right? Yeah, his main. I mean, I'm not saying excuse me, but maybe he, she just wasn't cooperating. He needed that that cooperation. But so, did he find the diary? Yeah. The diary got destroyed. I, I believe it did. Uh, the diary was only released to at, at the church hearing. Somehow, I guess it, it it wasn't destroyed, but it was not revealed to the public until the church committee hearings in 1975. At that point, the church was able to get the diary. And expose it publicly. Uh, so, yeah, oh, really? Eventually, but the Ken I wow. mean, Robert was dead. John was dead. Teddy's career was ruined. So at that point, it wasn't as damning toward the Kennedys. Uh, you know, Could you get a PDF of that? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Um, there but do you are, think it's out there in its entirety, or do you think it's under lock and seal, and you just get what they write into the church commission? That's a good question. Uh, uh, yeah, I've only seen what was written into the church commission. Right. So and it's, uh, I don't I know. You have to ask, ask Mike Roth because Mike Rothmiller, you know, he published this book, Bombshell. I mean, I was basically reviewing his book yeah. and mm -hmm. a couple other books in my article. So he knows more than me. Uh, you could, uh, uh, you know, get in touch with him. Yeah, he I have, have to read it. the book first. And yeah, I was he researched on you. this for years and he knows all the detail. I mean, he oh, would wow. argue Charlie Kennedy was the, was the killer. Uh, there right. is a documentary that was produced on Netflix by Anthony Summers. He's kind of cautious. I mean, the, the documentary makes clear she was murdered and there was a cover-up, and he's kind of cautious to name Kennedy as the killer. Uh, again, you know, Kennedy looks bad in this. Whether he's the, uh, but Roth Miller draws on the, the confession by Peter Lawford, and he draws on these surveillance tapes and he's quite confident that Kennedy was the killer. And Kennedy did have a, you know, Kennedy bragged to Marilyn about 
that he had connection with the underworld and, and with the CIA and that he could order people's death. He was like bragging to her that he had the power to have people killed. Uh, and maybe that was one of the things he didn't want being revealed because she was a woman scorned. Like Marilyn was very upset the way she was treated. And she said she was going to ho- have a press conference uh, the week before she was, you know, this was, she was killed on a Saturday night. She was planning a press conference like Monday. Uh, uh, wow. To, really? You know, expose Kennedy and the real Kennedy and how she was treated and some of the secrets that he had told her. So this was going to ruin possibly, you know, both Kennedy. But I mean, I would have saved their lives. So there's a clear motive for Kennedy being the killer, uh, unless he was set up because the mob did have a vendetta against the Kennedys because the Kennedys had double crossed the mafia. You know, the mafia, uh, had helped the Kennedys get in power through their, you know, the Kennedy family was connected through the mob, through, uh, Joe Kennedy, who had been a bootlegger during prohibition and uh, according to legend, they had helped the Kennedy, John get elected in, in, in the state of Illinois. But then, you know, Robert Kennedy's attorney general has started prosecuting some of the mafia and went after Jimmy Hoffa. So they had a vendetta against him and they wanted to ruin him. So there is a motive for setting him up, but there's also a motive for Kennedy uh, silencing Marilyn and trying to preserve their reputation and saving their political careers. And I mean, there is a mythology about the Kennedys. I think you see it like, I mean, I like Oliver Stone. I really have respect for his work. And I, I agree with his uh, assessment on the Kennedy assassination that it was, you know, Oswald was not the lone assassin. There was a conspiracy. But I, I see, uh, you know, I think Peter Dale Scott, if you've read, uh, I would recommend to viewers to read Peter Dale Scott's book, Deep Politics and the Death of JFK. And he presents it as kind of an inter-elite power rivalry and, and he goes into the forces that were behind the Kennedy assassination, you know, the deep state forces, and he shatters the myth of Oswald as well assassin. But saying all that, I don't think Kennedy's were, were choir boys. Or, you know, some like Stone, I think, because he, he, you know, he, I think, correctly identifies that Kennedy was victim of a conspiracy involving elements of the CIA and the deep state. He wants to kind of depict, you know, and, and he's a Hollywood director, so there always has to be a good guy and a bad guy. But I think in real life, that you know, there's a lot of shades of gray, and there's, it's not always just good versus evil. Like I don't think the Kennedys, and this, you know, this uh, episode with Marilyn Monroe is a window into the dark side of the Kennedys. And I mean, Seymour Hersh wrote a good book called The Dark Side of Camelot, and there's, a, you know, the family was very violent, and they didn't, you know, I mean, if you look at John's presidency, I mean, they were carrying out some criminal activities like in Latin America. I mean, in Cuba, they were pretty hard line in trying to facilitate the overthrow of Fidel Castro and carrying out terrorist activities within Cuba. And they orchestrated the assassination of Rafael Trujillo. And like Vietnam, they had escalated the U.S. involvement in Vietnam with special forces. And they were sending in bombing and, you know, Agent Orange started a spraying of Agent Orange under the Kennedy's orders uh, and on down the line in Laos, you know, they were interfering and they, they set the groundwork for a later escalation of U.S. involvement in countries like Laos or other countries in Latin America. They were involved in facilitation of numerous coups in Latin America. So, uh, and then, you know, Robert apparently was a very violent person. I mean, he has this wholesome kind of Boy Scout image and, you know, the new left movement attached themselves to him. He was going to be their savior and hero. 
And he did. I mean, he was, you know, very smart politically in kind of aligning himself. He saw that the, you know, the social movement of the 60s had developed into a powerful political force. So he changed his tune because uh, Robert came up uh, allied with Joseph McCarthy. He actually worked with Joseph McCarthy, and he was a rabid anti-communist. And, uh, I mean, his personal life, I think they were very entitled, and with that entitlement, they always need to get their way. And if they don't get their way, they will treat people very, very harshly in their episodes in his past. He was a student at Harvard where he would be, you know, if he wasn't getting all the attention or he had a rival, he would uh, treat him very badly or even beat him up. So, you know, I think, and that's Robert, you know, I, I mean, I think they're the dark side of, of the family. And I think it's, it's, there's more, you know, a power struggle within American politics rather than a good, a good faction, a bad faction. I mean, they're one faction, powerful faction that was ultimately destroyed by their enemies who were arguably worse politically. I mean, you had the big oil who were allied against them. And I mean, we can go on about this, but again, my point is that, yeah, if you look into the way the Kennedy's treated with, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe, they treated her very badly as a person. And then you can look also at their, their policies in that era were not very progressive in any way. Well, a few things that um, I think I've read that kind of relate to this or would support this kind of a pattern. I don't know if you've ever heard of or read Mary's Mosaic. It was a book. Did you ever hear of it? It was a book about Cord Meyer's wife, who was JFK's last mistress. And Cord Meyer was a, the CIA guy who was ahead of, um, he was in charge of Operation Mockingbird. He had also led a one world movement where he wanted to be the president of the world, this guy, Cord Meyer. And his wife was, I don't know if they were divorced or what, but she was sleeping with Kennedy. And then the day the Warren Commission report came out, she was murdered kind of like suspiciously on a, on a walking path. And she just got murdered out of nowhere pretty quickly. So it wasn't like at night and she was stupid and it was some homeless guy. It was like, and it looked like an assassination. And at the same time, I think somebody was maybe James Jesus Angleton might've been the man on the spot, but I think he was involved in going to her house to try to get her diary. And she apparently was, um, I guess, was it, who was it who said Ken Kesey? He was, I forget which one was the sex guy, which one was the drug guy. Uh, but they were Timothy Leary. She was doing acid with JFK because she was friends with Timothy Leary and she was opening his mind to the, supposedly, according to this book, the possibility of peace and uh, giving him, you know, visions of a different way. So I thought that was interesting because maybe they just you know were in the habit of cleaning up these girls who knew too much well there are a lot of the murders yes yeah, surrounding the kennedy assassination possibly also the Marilyn, Marilyn monroe case to cover up the truth a lot of the people got killed uh well so. there was there was one woman in your in your article you didn't mention it but there's a picture of um of Marilyn monroe and dorothy kelgallen did you know that she was also murdered where supposedly she she od'd on barbiturates in 1965 and she had been digging into the kennedy assassination um she was on truth or consequences she was she had one of the first stars one of the first 500 stars on hollywood boulevard Gar dorothy kilgallen she was huge and people d don't even know her name she was in your thing but i think she was murdered too the book came out in 2017 the reporter who knew too much 
And uh, the subtitle is The Mysterious Death of What's My Line. That was it. What's, What's My Line TV star and media icon Dorothy Kilgallen. She was into true crime. And then she died this strange death. I don't know if you know if you knew that, but she. Yeah, was in- I think it was mentioned in my article. Oh, was it? Okay, I, I didn't see that about that. Yeah, and I think she knew too much about the Marilyn Monroe case and the Kennedy, and and there was you know connection between them. Uh, right. Yeah. I, I, that's probably why you would have the picture of her. All I saw, all I noticed was the picture of her with um, Marilyn Monroe. Gosh, golly, so. So there was her too. She died in 1965. And I, you know, it's funny. It's ironic that if she had, if Marilyn Monroe had had that press conference and ruined those guys' career, they would be alive. They would have lived. That's true. Yeah. That's you know? yeah. <laughs> Isn't that it ironic? Better for them, yeah. And instead they had to die with blood on their hands, which is too bad because you think of them as a victim and a hero, but they, you know, it's not going to, it doesn't negate what you've done in your past. Being a victim doesn't negate sins and crimes. So the, you wrote the other, other article, which was new evidence implicates CIA, LAPD, FBI, and the mafia as plotters in an elaborate hit plan to prevent RFK from ever reaching the White House. This was an article from June on Covert Action Magazine and it goes into a tremendous amount of detail. I mean, it's like impossible to believe that RFK was shot, murdered by Sirhan Sirhan. I mean, it's impossible to believe that, right? I, I mean, yeah, I think it's physically impossible. Just like the Monroe case. I mean, just the basic facts, and even the time of death in that case, and some of the points we we're saying uh, from the, the lack of water to you know coroner's report. Uh, uh, you know, I think in, in the Monroe case, the coroner report didn't report any ingestion of any drugs. So the official story just, it's simply wrong. Uh, and I mean, in the Robert Kennedy case, he had Sirhan Sirhan fired four shots, but he was, the, the two of the shots I think were up in the air because he was tackled by uh, Robert Kennedy's bodyguard, uh, was a football player, Rosie Greer. So uh, he could have only fired two shots. And yet the crime scene had uh, about 10, uh, at least 10, possibly as many as 18 or 19 bullets that were fired. And then Kennedy was shot behind the ear. Sirhan was in front of him. The fatal bullet came from behind the ear. So, I mean, just those facts alone make clear that there are more than one shooter. So this idea of Sirhan, the lone assassin, and, and again, the, he, since he was killed from behind, somebody had to come from behind. So... Sirhan was very likely the decoy. Uh, now, their allegation that he had been brainwashed, he had been targeting the Operation MK Ultra, because Sirhan remembered nothing. And like uh, the, even the police who interrogated him were, were surprised by his behavior, because he was behaving as a, like just like normal, making normal conversation. He wasn't nervous. He didn't even appear to know what had happened and had no memory of it. And uh, their indication yeah, that he may have been hypnotized and then their stuff possibly was planted in his home to make it look like he had, you know, given these writings. Because in his case, writings uh, that you know uh, indicate a political vendetta against Kennedy. But I mean, officially, the motive was for his case that Kennedy was supporting Israel in the Six Day War because he was Palestinian. But at that time, the, the that issue was kind of the majority. Uh, uh, people supported the Israelis, and every single Democratic Party candidate was supporting the Israelis. So, what was the point of taking out Kennedy? And, I had that thought too. Yeah. So yeah. there's no motive. Yeah. I mean, for Sirhan, 
So, you know, it, it's, I mean, I don't know if he's innocent. He may have been either part of the plot and, and promised money, or he was, as they say, brainwashed and used as, as a, a patsy without really his knowledge, and he was a victim. That's what I think his, a lot of the supporters are claiming, including, I think, Robert Kennedy Jr. has supported his clemency, or at least release from prison. And I think he got re- he he was voted by a parole board, but that that he should be released after all those years. But then the governor, I think, squelched it. So yeah, I think so, Newsom. Yeah. So so I think actually there was audio of the shots too. I think somebody had it recorded mm-hmm. on audio that there were too many shots for it to be Sirhan Sirhan, and you could tell that it came from two different directions. Yeah, that was another bit of evidence. Yeah. So uh, from from your article, and it's so comprehensive, I really encourage people to do that one. That's covertactionmagazine.com. It's from June of this year. So uh, a couple of details here. His lawyer was Grant Cooper, who was Johnny Roselli's personal lawyer, who was a mobster who supposedly ran an assassination program for the CIA against Castro. And this guy, Cooper, encouraged Sirhan Sirhan to plead guilty, which, of course, I always hate plea bargains because I want to know the truth. And I think we should go through the process of getting information out there, even if the person isn't really resisting. But I do like that process. And this doesn't allow for any truth. So it's like I thought it was kind of suspicious that he seems to have these, you know, big high priced lawyers. And who is this guy? And then to have a a mob related one is kind of curious. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think they didn't want the truth getting out. Uh, and that's, you know, what I've been doing is, uh, you know, I developed a series at Covert Action Magazine, and I'm hoping to develop it into a book, because there are a lot of books that focus on one individual assassination. And a lot of these authors, you know, I give great credit to it, whether Mike Rothmiller or for Robert Kennedy, there's a couple authors who studied this exhaustively. And I kind of summarized their finding in my article. One was uh, Lisa Pease, and there are a couple other authors. But uh, there's no author who's put these all together and pointed to a, pa- a system- systematic pattern and asked, what does this say about the American political system and you know, American exceptionalism? I mean, we think we're better than other countries. We're this beacon of democracy and you know, Putin's a killer. Or, you know, but I mean, look at our politics. Our politics are extremely violent. They're these, uh, what, what I'm finding is, yeah, it's, it's a factional power struggle not between good and evil, but between power families like the Kennedys and other cliques uh, that, you know, the Bushes or, you know, other cliques like Texas Oil and, and military interests that champion uh, Lyndon Johnson over Kennedy because Johnson was more militaristic uh, than the Kennedys. And, you know, they're, they're deep state forces that uh, in each case that, yeah, I mean, going down to le- the corruption of the legal system that prevents a full accounting of the facts and there are lawyers who are corrupted or either through alliance with the mafia. And you see the same thing in the uh, Martin Luther King assassination. You know, James Earl Ray did not get a fair trial and he was given these lawyers who, who basically blackmailed him uh, and they said they were going to produce a book and they, they said they would save his life. They wouldn't get the death penalty, but they sold him out to dry and James Earl Ray was very clearly a patsy uh, that uh, operation had been planned at the highest level of, of the FBI for for a number of years, and Ray was uh, they uh, had him escape from prison because uh, they bought off the wardens 
and they were able to control him because he was an escaped convict and they told him exactly where to, what to do and where to be and they set him up and it was impossible for him to be the shooter of King based on the angle of the, you know, they claimed he had shot King who was on the balcony uh, in Memphis uh, from this rooming house, but he would have to have been hanging out the window and a position that no, even the, the top sniper in the world could never carry it out. And, and Ray knew nothing about guns and been in the army and he was a very poor shooter uh, just like Oswald. So anyway, there's a pattern you see uh, in studying these, not just the assassination of the 60s, but going into later, you know, even more recent years, there are other killings like Paul Wellstone and Vince Foster. Um, and all these seem to be connected. There's a common thread of, of corruption of the legal system that prevents full accounting of facts and, and recognition that these are political uh, in most cases, political assassinations, and um, you know Who's Monroe's that? case, yeah, is a unique case. But there are you know political motives behind it, and that was covered up in the same way uh, a lot of these other high fr- high profile killings were were covered up, and the, and the justice system was not functioning uh, effectively. So, well, I want to I want to ask you, Paul Wellstone, is but before we get to that, the I you. I'm assuming you know, I'm sure you know this, that on the way out the door, the um, Miguel Rodriguez wrote a memo. He was on the U.S. attorney staff. Um, he was in on top of the Vince Foster investigation. He said a finding of suicide is not supported by the facts and I cannot continue. And I believe in the memo, he specifically named several people who were sliding behind him, including Brett Kavanaugh. And he said, like, just I'm telling you, this is not a suicide. And then, of course, Kavanaugh just totally covered that up. And now he's a Supreme Court justice. So I always thought that the whole thing about Brett Kavanaugh getting, um, uh, I thought it was kind of like the Monica Lewinsky thing. Like they take a sexual scandal to drown out the real political thing or murder or whatever. Like Monica Lewinsky crowded out Whitewater from the public eye. And the same thing so Brett Kavanaugh, it seems to me, he got rewarded for that. And Miguel Rodriguez basically went into hiding, became whatever. I, I hate to out <laughs> how Miguel Rodriguez is in hiding, but um, not that everyone wouldn't know it anyway, who wanted to find it. But uh, so that was a legal system where there was somebody in there who wanted it to function correctly and just it was not possible to do so and uh, so like the vince foster thing it's definitely an evidence that the investigator said it was not a suicide but who who is paul wellstone yeah and and to add to that yeah i I think you see that pattern like i also looked into the oklahoma city bombing and merrick garland you know that trial was not uh, done properly. Uh, it was covered up. You know, Timothy McVeigh was not the lone bomber. It's also impossible. Uh, and he was in the company of all these different individuals who were FBI informants. But uh, Merrick Garland ensured, you know, current attorney general, that McVeigh was fingered as lone assassin and that, that this was never to be brought up, uh, who he was kept company with. And there's a, a, obviously something deeper there. So that, that that's the pattern you see. Yeah, it's not just... I gotta- I got to tell you about OKC, a couple of things in OKC. One is Timothy McVeigh, uh, uh, if you have dug into that already, I'm sure you saw that he wrote a letter to his sister, which was published by the New York Times, saying that he was in special ops and he was pulled out to do some domestic stuff. And then 
you know, at that time, he supposedly started going to militia meetings and, and all that. Merrick Garland's not only as the AG, but he was a failed attempt at being a Supreme Court justice. I mean, that looks like a way that they can pay some of these guys back. So I told, I wrote an article about that when Merrick Garland was up. I was like, this is, this guy's totally compromised. He obviously plays ball. You do not want him in this position. It's a reward, but it's also a safe choice for them. And then there was another guy you should, um, if you haven't heard of this, ever hear of a guy named Donald Sockleben? Donald Sockleben. Okay, Donald Sockleben was the guy, um, you may remember, during the Obama administration, I think, there was a like a scandal where a Fox News reporter, I think, his emails were cracked into, and there was a bunch of breaches like that. Um, at the same time that the second potential underwear bomber, there was a leak that exposed this underwear bomber, the second attempt to take down a plane like the first one did. But what was exposed was that that underwear bomber was an MI6 agent, an MI6 operative was commissioning a bomb from this Yemeni guy to put on a plane. And the whistle was blown supposedly by this guy, Donald Sockleben. Now Sockleben was the bomb expert at OKC. He was the FBI investigator at OKC. And when they went to arrest him for being a whistleblower on the bomb, which he might have been able to make an argument that he did the right thing in saving lives, they, by what the Washington Post called a bizarre coincidence, he uh, was arrested for kitty porn. The FBI found tons of kitty porn on his laptop. And it was funny because he did a lot of FBI work on that same computer. And it just seems like for him to have just troves and troves and troves of kitty porn uh, that they happened to be discovering in a parallel investigation. They had no idea that that was the day they were going to get him on this whistleblowing Donald Sockley, but I, I, he definitely went to jail for it. But my theory of that was always that he realized that when he investigated OKC, that people really were getting killed by these operations, that it wasn't just false flags without, you know, like um, another one was the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, which killed six people. There's a there's a recording by Ahmad Salem talking to his FBI handler saying, you know, you have me in this cell and I'm trying to stop these guys from getting real explosives. And then you come in and give them real explosives. Like, what's your problem? And the FBI is like, I don't know. I mean, you know, bureaucracy, what are you going to do? And they re- people really died. And I, and I think that Soxley or whatever, some people realize that, that real people are going to die in these things and occasionally do blow the whistle. So if you do OKC, you got to find Soxley, I think. Okay, I'm going to look into that, yeah. But yeah, again, it's this pattern, and yeah, we see that the American criminal justice system is often corrupted, uh, and, you know, we think of other countries like Russia as this is like dark, corrupt uh, country, but, I mean, we have to look uh, at our own house and see how our, our, our government has become extremely corrupt, and, uh, you know, these people who get promoted, yeah, have often done the bidding, uh of the of the very powerful who committed serious you know, criminal acts, and it's it's shameful. I mean, who is Paul Wellstone though? I don't even know who that. Well, is. he was somebody else. I mean, it looks like his plane was brought down. You know, that was in the build up to the Iraq War. He was like a strong liberal uh, who represented liberal value. He was a senator from the state of Minnesota, 
and he fought, you know, he was like a real liberal who fought for liberal causes, and he was opposing the Iraq war. He had opposed the first, but he was on the, the radar of the Bushes, like when he first got elected to the Senate, I think when he was being uh, confirmed in the Senate or like introduction, introductory ceremony, he like said something on camera to Bush, like, you know, this is a crime that you're going to war in Iraq, and he kind of embarrassed Bush, and the Bushes hated him ever since. And then, you know, he was like the, uh, one of the, the Senate in the 2002 election, midterm elections, it was very close and the Republicans had a narrow lead in the Senate. Uh, and he was like, you know, he was poised to be reelected. I think he was like the decisive him and one other person, Max Cleland, who also lost that election. If those two had been elected, Democrats would have had control of the Senate. They could have tried to block the uh, war in Iraq. But uh, Wellstone was his plane. He died in a plane crash like two weeks before the election or a month before the election. Uh, and then with him out of there, they had to scramble to find a replacement, and his replacement lost. The Republican was very closely allied with the Bush family and Bush policy on Iraq. And they're all kind of oddly. Once you look into it, there was a study uh, by two uh, scholars um, called American Assassination that. Uh, found evidence, uh, strong evidence that the, uh, you know, a foul play and that the plane was shot down, possibly through some very sophisticated military equipment and technology that they may have used. So, uh, you know, it's another case where we think that would happen in another country, not, you know, supposedly, you know, beacon of democracy, but they're using dirty methods to ensure control of the Senate in that case and go forward with a criminal war in Iraq. Uh, just like they, you know, assassinated Kennedys or you know, Martin Luther King or uh, others. So. so you actually, and I think sometimes they do sideways people. Like, for example, I remember Wyden and Udall were really vocal about maybe it was internet privacy or it was something that I cared about. Like, I was on their side. And I remember Udall's brother died hiking. And I thought, I bet we never, I bet we don't hear from him again on this issue. And we didn't. And I just always wonder about that. Same thing with Travis Kalanick. He was the head of Uber. And he was, you know, a lovable jerk, you know, Elon Musk style, jerk, 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 but that's okay. We don't care. And then all of a sudden it was like, he's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. And he's like, no, I'm just a lovable jerk. I'm not going anywhere. And he absolutely, no matter what they did, he refused to go, would not go. And just the pressure came down to like tell Uber drivers to boycott and to go to Lyft and all of this stuff. And then one day, uh, his parents were in a horrible accident on a boat on a lake on which they lived, a placid lake on which they lived. They were in a horrible accident and the mother died and nearly the father died too. And they wouldn't even have found him except for the dog swam to shore. And I said to myself, like, they're trying to take this guy out. He probably doesn't have a wife, because if he had a wife, it would have been her, and he did not. And uh, lo and behold, he stepped down the next day. And I remember thinking, or shortly thereafter, and I remember thinking, uh, what did he do? What did he do that, like, turned the worm? And I looked back, and I found that just in that moment, when it turned from, like, he's a cute jerk to he's got to go, he conducted, I think it was called Operation Gray Ball, and the government was trying to use the Uber location stuff to just track people. And, and he didn't like that. So he, instead of saying no, I think he said no, and they said yes, 
he just put something, he developed software that would just make it impossible for them to do it. And they blew a fuse <laughs> and, and, but you didn't really hear about it too much. And then that's when like that narrative went away. So sometimes I think if they can't like hit them directly, they just take out somebody so close to them that they either get the message or they can't function. And I also think it's usually if they're in a position of power, if they know something firsthand that would be really credible and change things. Like I even think Joan Rivers was assassinated because she knew that Trump wasn't this hot-headed boob. She thought he was an intelligent guy who had some savvy and she would say that and you couldn't shut her up. Like I know this is probably too far down the rabbit hole for you, but uh, I've, I've stumbled across many examples of what I think people are getting taken out. Ron Brown and James Forrestal. Forrestal? Or Forrestal? Yeah, that, Forrestal? That, that was part of the series. Uh, there's a lot of the, In the case of James Forrestal, yeah, again, the official narrative seems implausible. Uh, I think they claim he tried to... Uh, uh, I, I don't know. Like he, he jumped out of a window... But uh, they claim he tried to hang himself first and like he had rope around him and then jumped. <laughs> and you know, there, there was glass like near his bed and there were, there were signs of a struggle on his bed. So and like yeah. he was, you know, his brother had seen him th th that day and like he was extremely happy and excited to get out. He's being released from this mental hospital the next day. And, you know, he had some, he was planning to write it again with a diary. He was planning to publish his diary and he had been in the government for a while. He knew secrets about Pearl Harbor and about the cold war. And, uh, so, so, I mean, yeah, you become suspicious because, you know, maybe not every case people were assassinated, but there are many cases where it's evident that there they were murdered. And the murder was cover up. So, I mean, it's like the boy who cried wolf. I mean, you stop believing after a while when, when there's so many cases, you know, that that were murders, uh, you know, you don't know the extent of it and you become suspicious. And yeah. I mean, you can look in the Clintons, you know, there's so many people that turned up, you know, very conveniently, you know, dead for the Clintons who are going to be testifying about Whitewater. There was a guy, Jerry Parks, who had all this information about Mina, uh, Arkansas and the Clintons involvement. And he'd kept the file back in the early 80s when, when Roger Clinton and Bill Clinton were out partying and uh, you know doing cocaine with underage girls. And he had all that information. And then he, you know, was, was uh, suddenly it was in a mysterious car crash. And, you know, there's so many uh, things like that. And there's the case with Obama, a whistleblower who came out and gave a press conference that he had had gay sex with Obama and it turned out that letters turned out that, uh, that Obama actually basically indicated Obama was either gay or bisexual. Uh, Larry Sinclair? Yeah, Larry Sinclair. I don't think he's dead. I no, think he's alive. He's alive. Yeah, he's alive. He, okay. had all, he had insider knowledge about Obama. Yeah. And right. then some people around Obama turned up dead, like uh, a campaign worker on his first oh. campaign. I have to look up the name, but uh, oh, wow. um, I, you know, I forget all the names off the top of my head. I think Donald something. He was he died, and Obama, his mother believes Obama was behind it, and it would be because of the, the gay, you know, the stuff that that Obama was having gay sex, and that and that would you know discredit him before the election and 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 shatter his wholesome you know family image. But I mean, it sounds like it's out of the National Enquirer, but then. Again, this letter turned out like you think, oh, that's just like, you know, they're, they're just playing. You know, it's just like National Enquirer. But then a letter turns up 
that basically proves Obama is either gay or bisexual. Uh, and so it become very plausible, you know, this guy, what this guy Sinclair is saying. And there's no explanation for some of these deaths otherwise. Uh, and then, you know, it goes on down the Seth Rich case. So there, there's so the many. Seth Rich case? That seemed like sensationalism. That was the one I didn't even dig into because when I, when I heard like Eric Erickson talking about it, or Rush Limbaugh, I was like, come on, they don't out these assassinations on Fox News. Come on. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he did was. Did you not look into this Seth Rich thing? A little bit. I mean, he was supposedly the guy who had the knowledge, uh, you know, that would disprove all those claims about Russia. And that he was the one. It wasn't the Russians who leaked those emails. It was him because he was a disgruntled Democratic Party uh, operative. And then he died, you know, walking home from a bar, but he wasn't robbed. So, I mean, why would somebody just kill a guy in the middle of the street, not take his wall? I mean, if it's not a robbery. And, you know, he, <laughs> there's evidence again that he had insider knowledge you know, that, that he was the one who leaked the stuff about, you know, to discredit Hillary Clinton to show how corrupt she was. It had nothing to do with the Russians. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know for sure about that case, but again, there are other cases where, you know, I mean, the fact like Robert Kennedy, you know, he was murdered, you know, there was a cover up behind it. Uh, you know, you know, Martin Luther King, you know. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. So, you know, this guy, Jerry Parks, I mean, you know, it, I, I don't know. It's not just coincidence that the guys who have all the dirt on the Clintons uh, uh, turn up dead, you know. And, yes. And, and the, a few things, though. Um, first of all, like with the who would kill this guy and not rob him, why, uh, you know, do these school shootings happen or why do um, why do we have to disarm Iran, Iran, you know, it's all, the argument often comes down to he's crazy. Guy's crazy. Somebody crazy did it. People are crazy. They do things for no reason. And, and my argument is even if you're crazy, you do have a reason. You could be wrong, but you have a reason. It could be a reason that makes no sense. And they even get to like crazy or stupid, even when you look at stuff that Trump does or, uh, you know, when he started bombing Syria and everything and, they're like, well, he's a hothead. He's emotional. He loves little babies. It's like just emotionalism, crazy. Like this is, there are reasons that have a lot of power and there's a deep state and there are people who have power who control the, their puppets and they're not allowing their puppets to just have moments of hotheadedness that determine the course of foreign policy. They're there. And especially when that foreign policy is just a continuation of the previous foreign policy to say, you know, he was just got worried about the babies and decided to kill a bunch of people when he was just dumping the same amount of bombs as Obama on Syria. Obviously, there's a reason behind these things, but they don't want you to know. And sometimes the only reason they can give you is like somebody's crazy. Somebody just killed him and didn't rob him because they're crazy. If I could just add a point, it's that yeah, like, sure. the population has been depoliticized over generations. So they don't think in political terms. It's, it's maybe only a small number who are thinking about the political implications. And so I, I think people are conditioned just not to think about politics and, and to connect certain events to political uh, happenings and to just buy into this narratively crazy people. But, uh, you know, again, uh, there's a, a lot of evidence in a lot of these cases that they are, uh, you know, political events. Uh, and there are, uh, you know, there are many political assassinations that take place. And it's rare, like even this case in Japan, you know, people I knew said, oh, it's just some crazy guy took out, 
Shinzo Abe, but there's a political motive. I mean, Abe was a prominent political figure, and I think he was tied with the you know Japanese far right and wants to you know militarize Japan further. And this incident with the trigger. Uh, political change, you know, not in a good way. And you have that throughout history. I mean, go back to the First World War was triggered by a political assassination. So I think it's mixed in this depoliticization, mixed in with this American exceptionalism. We think America is more yes. pure than yes. other countries. And when we don't have political assassinations, when we do, and a lot of these acts were assassinations, and they altered the politics, like the, the 60s assassinations fundamentally transformed American politics and allowed the ascendancy of the new right movement and other uh, incidents had other political implications. So again, it's those phenomena of depoliticization and American exceptionalism that prevents people from understanding that a lot of the violence we see is political in nature. And it's not always the other side. I have to say something about exceptionalism, but I also want to say something about Abe, Abe and Malcolm X. Um, because I think like the assassination of Malcolm X was much more important than any of the other ones uh, because he had turned the corner. He was, he was, could have led us to like a post racist paradigm and having been there, obviously very authentic. They took him out and it didn't just like give rise to the right. It also changes the left. So it wouldn't surprise me. Like I, what I was thinking with Abe is that I think that he was killed by his own side in order to foster his goal of militarization because then the elections won by a landslide. So you think, or even like Netanyahu, I think didn't Netanyahu was it, it, it's at Rabin who was assassinated. Um, I, I think on the precipice of Oslo Accords number two, and it was by a right wing guy. And yeah. then Netanyahu got in, and that yeah. would probably be crossing the aisles. But the exceptionalism thing, I think, is important because what I try to tell people is it, listen to that word. It's not American extraordinariness, it's American exceptionalism. And it's often used to suggest that America is an exception to the rules like the law of sovereignty that we don't we are an exception to that we don't have to follow the rule of law because we have this like divine right thing that that exceptionalism thing is really uh, insidious it's it's deeper than people realize and it's really a horrible horrible expression and it leads to a lot of things that go against morality and when when that happens it destabilizes so i actually when i had a call-in show i had somebody calling from africa who said that he remembered jfk was really uh gave a lot of hope to people in africa that there would be a kind of pox a post-american pox not like that was his last speech at american university jfk said I want a peace for all time, for all mankind, not a Pax Americana. That's not what I want. I want something more than that. And the, they had hope over there in the Middle East and North Africans that this guy was saying that um, when you give people that kind of hope, when you think that they're, when, when they think there's an even playing field, when they think that they can work hard and be treated fairly, they're more likely to obey the rules. It's when you don't feel there are rules. It's that you that you don't feel bound by them. 
And then you have to kind of go rogue, I think. So I think American exceptionalism is highly destabilizing around the world. It's really awful. But um, And feel free to answer that. But I also want you to talk a little bit before we wrap about the idea of competing factions, if you really think that it, they ha it hasn't been consolidation at the top more recently. Well, I think so, yeah. I, I think we even see that now, you know, very clearly. Uh, I mean, even with the raid on, on Trump, I mean, there's, you know, clearly faction among the oligarchy because, uh, I mean, both part, you know, the dominant party in the U.S. are uh, tied to big money interests. Uh, they may have different uh, bases and different uh, industry uh, backing them. And I, I think, yeah, this goes back a long way. Uh, and as I say, you know, with the Kennedys, I think there is this, it's a word, you know, a f false nostalgia or they want a liberal hero. So they present Kennedy as the good and they were uh, murdered you know, by evil forces. But again, if you look into the Kennedy's history, as oh. a family, you see that they it was a very ruthless family, how they accumulated their wealth and that they governed uh, not necessarily. Yeah. They may have given hope. I mean, the, you know, John was a magnetic speaker and, uh, but, uh, you know, he may have given hope to people around the world, but I mean, his policies weren't necessarily any better than Eisenhower's. I mean, toward the third world, you know, he was pretty aggressive in intervening in third world countries. He was supporting, in fact, I read a study on the military budget was higher under Kennedy than under Lyndon Johnson. And like he, they were intervening very aggressively in Cuba. Robert Kennedy called for bring the terrors of the earth to Cuba and they sanctioned all these assassinations and they had connection to the mafia, and they were using them to assassinate Castro. And even their domestic policy was not particularly progressive. So, again, this I think mythology developed about the Kennedys. And really, I think, yeah, what we see in American politics is like in other countries. It's more of an oligarchy where you have power, a different power faction and power struggles that, were, that are going on. Uh, and they will use violent, ruthless methods to, to obtain power. Now we have cliques like the Clinton, Obama, Bush, you know, uh, Trump's a player, uh, and they each of them are immoral in their own way. And uh, I mean, sure, you might, you know, I think, you know, sensibly you might find you'll get slightly better policy with certain political factions, so you may ally with that. But um, I, again, I think American, and that gets to the point about American exceptionalism, that American politics isn't that different from other countries and that's yeah what you were saying it's this uh illusion that america would go out and, and promote a more democratic order in countries around the world uh, or that america has any legitimacy in doing that uh i think is eroded once you understand american politics for what it is can you identify a single reason why you think JFK and RFK and if it's two different reasons tell me why specifically they were knocked out well, I think uh, they did have more liberal policies in some area. Like they had many enemies. I mean, they had enemy in the oil industry. They were adopting the uh, oil uh, taxes in the oil industry that Lyndon Johnson took away. I mean, Johnson came from oil country in Texas, so he had the backing of like Clint Murchison and the Hunt, these big oil barons in Texas, and they didn't want the oil depletion. Uh, uh, allowance and oil tax that the Kennedys were imposing. And some of the Kennedy's policies, yeah, were more liberal, uh, like the Johnson or, you know, the new right movement 
favored uh, complete you know, deregulation of industry and uh, much lower corporate taxes, although Kennedy was bringing the corporate taxes down from Eisenhower, but you know, later, uh, you know, the Reagan, for instance, brought it down considerably more. So uh, those factions, you know, wanted, uh, you know, Reagan type policy and Reagan was, was more aggressive. I mean, Kennedy, I would label him an aggressive cold warrior, but Lyndon Johnson, you know, escalated the Vietnam War and Americanized. I mean, he was more aggressive than Kennedy, more militaristic. So were the, was Reagan. So there were, you know, industry like the, you know, military industrial complex, the oil industry, these industry would support a, a faction like uh, Johnson or, or Reagan over Kennedy, some of whose policy were a little more liberal. Uh, so, and, you know, Johnson was from the South and, uh, I mean, some of it is regional. I mean, the Kennedys were the Northeastern, you know, coastal elite and Johnson was, you know, deep South. And, you know, Reagan came from California and the, and the West and had backing from industry and people there. You know, and the, the political beliefs are a little different. I mean, in, in, in Massachusetts, where Kennedy from, they do generally support higher taxes and more liberal policy uh, by instinct, whereas in the South, they're uh, strong, you know, support a limited government. So some of it is regional-based, cultural to some extent. And it's also, yeah, different uh, faction of industry. And then there may be different faction of the CIA uh, and so-called deep, deep state aligning with different political figures. And you can see those division with Trump and, and the Clinton and Democrats now. Uh, there are certain uh, you know, segments of U.S. society that prefer Trump. There are others that prefer the Clinton-type uh, Democrat or Biden, uh, the more conservative Democrat. And there are certain you know, industries and, and powerful backers that they have over Trump. And he has his supporters, and it's a, it's a power struggle that continues. So there's a lot to it. It's just, it's not like the mob was mad at this guy because he knew a secret. It's, it is, I mean, there's a lot at stake. And of course, it should, I would think that there, there, those levers of power are pulled by the powerful. So I can see that. Well, I don't, uh, I want to wrap it up. I have a few, we'll just take a couple of questions over here. Um, oh, Frightening me says um, the secret Israeli Demona nuclear reactor was a large part of the reason behind the JFK assassination. Does that sound plausible? I, mean, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Again, there are other uh, you know interests that are like as you say, the mafia did. There were a faction of the mafia that had a vendetta against uh, Kennedy, but I, I think there are larger power struggles going on. And that's why I would recommend Peter Dale Scott's book, uh, Deep Politics of the Death of, of JFK, because he goes into some of the, the broad array of interests aligned against mm. Kennedy without mythologizing Kennedy. Um, but, I mean, I don't know for sure. Yeah, there are, uh, again, you know, different uh, reasons why people hated Kennedy and may have wanted him taken out. But there, there is a, co a broad coalition of interests that were, I think, arrayed against him. Uh, here's a, I like this one from Clint's globalists. Is that what we call those at the helm of all this? Are the communists just a tool? Is the goal as simply as controlling the world? See, I think that too. I think they've resurrected this, um, bo communism boogeyman when we're really just, we've all gravitated towards the, you know, communist, fascist, totalitarian, whatever center. It's, it's obviously being, I'm not sure whether government comes before corporations or corporations come before government, but they're clearly mostly working together and controlling the private sector and the public sector. 
So I, I, I see there's factions that you think there are factions, but would you agree that the very highest level, we're just talking about what I call the corpo governmental continuum? Um, well, I think there are factions you know, that may ally between certain uh, politicians or certain uh, political parties. Uh, they're not always you know, in agreement uh, on how things should be run. I mean, we see differences between the Republican and Democratic Party, for instance, in the United States, just like in other countries. Now, there are some issues where I think they are aligned. Uh, they all seem to you know, support, uh, you know, U.S. imperialism abroad and maintenance of was it 800 to 1,000 overseas military bases, uh, you know, intervention in place like Ukraine. I think most of the factions of the elite support that. And they may differ on the style of intervention. Like, I mean, Obama's style was more the CIA style, more covert intervention, uh, less boots on the ground, whereas other leaders, you know, were more pro-military, even the Clintons. I think that was the divide between Obama and Clinton. The way I saw it was that Obama was more the, the boy of the CIA and Clinton was more, uh, you know, military because there was an article I read like Hillary mm. the Hawk and she was always very pro-military. You know, she had even once tried to enlist in the military and she kind of was, you know, favoring uh, more aggressive military intervention, whereas Obama was not a dove, but he favored more the CIA's kind of light footprint drone approach, mm -hmm. which I, I think they're both bad, but yeah, of course, it's just like a different style, but that's what I think you find where, where you find divisions, you know, as far as the globalists, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I, I studied more American politics and I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there clearly are some power brokers, uh, you know, very wealthy family like the Rothschilds and Gates who have huge control over, uh, political structures uh, are able to exert control in many countries. Uh, so, uh, as, you know, as far as the communists, I, I don't think the communist movement is, is, was destroyed in the McCarthy era. Uh, it's not influential in, in the Western countries anymore. Uh, all right. I'm going to do one last question and then I'll let you go. Jen Excellent says, are the reports of RFK saying he planned to reopen the investigation into his brother's assassination if he won the presidency true or verified to your knowledge? Well, I don't think who's going to win the, I mean, RFK Jr. is going to run for president. No, no. When RFK was oh, running for president. That I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's one reason they probably wanted him taken out. Is because uh, he was going to reopen the investigation. I mean, I think he believed that the CIA was behind it in some ways, and he knew his family was under attack, and uh, I agree with that. Yeah, I think he was going to reopen, and that's probably the reason he was killed, among uh, you know, other reasons. I mean, he was, he was trying to channel the uh, 60s New Left movement and was embracing many of their policies, including promoting withdrawal from Vietnam, uh, and transforming U.S. foreign policy. So I think that scared uh, elements of the elite as well. But I would agree probably with, with that uh, guess that that's probably a key reason they didn't want that investigation opened up, a, a, a legitimate investigation, which would show that there's no way Oswald was the uh, yes. assassin. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I'm hoping that the next time we talk, we can catch up on some of the great work you've been doing on Ukraine lately. I'm sure you're elbow deep in that stuff, but it doesn't seem to be dominating the mainstream headlines as much as it used to. So I'm assuming that there's more going on than 
than you just stumble upon in my cursory reading of the mainstream media. So hopefully you'll do that with us maybe next month. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being here, Jeremy. Uh, it is always a pleasure. You are truly a dive master. And thank you for leading us on this journey into the past, which extends right to the here and now. And no doubt it will continue into the future. And I hope that you do write the book on the pattern of assassinations. I think it'd be great to put it in one place. Although I'm afraid that you're going to be in danger if you connect dots too clearly. I think that's a, a thing you've got to <laughs> proceed yeah, with caution. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. <laughs>